Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. This is episode 52. My name is Chris, and today I am honored to have the opportunity to introduce you, dear friends, to one of the bright lights within the traditional movement. Our guest has been married to her amazing husband, Michael, for over 13 years. She is mother of four and the founder of Theology of the Body Northwest. Her ministry has led her to speak to thousands of young people across the Northwest. However, God appears to be taking her ministry into the realm of social media, where her story has been inspiring thousands of people across the world. Here to share some of her story and how to remain grounded in hope during times of great change, we welcome Christine Moss. Christine, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. I'm going to have my kids introduce me every morning like that. That's pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a it's it's an absolute joy uh, to have you join me today. You and I, like I'm, I encountered your story on Instagram a number of months ago. And I knew at that point that, that yeah, I, I wanted more people to know about you. I immediately went to my wife, Julie, and was like, Julie, check this out. Like, look, look at this, what God is doing in her life. And uh, I know that uh, you are, your life is inspiring a lot of people right now. And just, um, yeah. And so I want to kind of dive into that if, if that's cool. You mentioned recently in a post that, Everyone essentially in the world will remember March 2020 for how it changed their life, but that your earth-shifting crisis came in September 2019, where everything changed for you and your family. Can you maybe walk us through what happened then? Sure. Yeah. Um, Actually, just a month prior to that in August, we had chosen our very own life shift. So my husband, he's a stockbroker, was a stockbroker. He had moved his business from one financial firm to another at the end of August. And then we had also sold our house, what was supposed to be our, you know, dream home, settle there forever. But we just really needed to uh, downsize and simplify our life. So right around the same time we'd sold our house, Uh, moved into a rental condo and then three weeks, well, and then a month later, the end of August, or uh, excuse me, October, we were supposed to be adopting a baby. And that was a good couple of years in the making. We have four biological children, but had always wanted to adopt. My husband is adopted. And so, you know, we were on this trajectory of life part two and unbeknownst to us, God had a different life part two. And three weeks after my husband moved his business on uh, Friday, September 13th, he had a seizure that led us to find a uh, softball sized tumor in his left frontal lobe. So ultimately he was diagnosed with brain cancer. They uh, thought it was glioblastoma, but it turns out to be what's called oligodendroglioma, grade three. So still a pretty aggressive brain cancer, but he then had his initial tumor resection at the end of September, and that went really well. They removed about 80% of the tumor, and he came out like he went in, no neurological issues. But then two days later, the residual tumor had swelled up so much that it was compressing his brain and his brain had funneled into his brainstem. And so he, I think the 
specific term is neurostorming, but he was completely unresponsive to anything, any, um, any stimuli. And so they, they had to, you know, he was probably an hour or two at least from dying. And so the only option they had in was to go back into his brain and remove the part of the brain that was compressing his brainstem. So that was most of his left temporal lobe. So, and then he, he has suffered some neurological damage from that second surgery. We were in the hospital about three weeks and you know, obviously the adoption fell through, which was very difficult. And, you know, our life part two since then has looked very different than, than what we thought. Wow. There's a clip. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, anybody who's follows your, your Instagram knows a little bit more, you know, of the, the nitty gritty, um, with sure. regards to the, the tension and the struggle that's been there. Um, maybe, maybe can we backtrack a little bit with regards to your family taking that, that step towards living a more simplistic and detached lifestyle? What led to that? I think, you know, it's funny you say that. I'm actually just kind of writing that story out here to post in the next few days. But for a number, probably starting about five or six years ago, we had a lot of just really big things in our life, health issues. My husband's really intense business. We had some, you know, marital strain. We had four really young kids, homeschooling. Uh, my husband's dad had all a very horrible battle with Alzheimer's disease. And so we had a lot of these big world pressures and struggles. And I think we were really trying to find a, a respite from that, a place where we could, re, you know, just have some calm from the storm. And um, I think we tried to find it in the wrong things. We'd end up kind of finding this big, beautiful property. It had a pool and a tree house and a, you know, a creek for the kids. And it was what we thought, okay, wow, here we can kind of retreat from the world. And it ended up being um, more of a burden, um, just emotionally, financially. And so after a couple of years, we cut our losses and wanted to stay in the same neighborhood. So we bought another really big house. And, and that honestly, that's just not, either of us, you know, my husband and I, I think we're both just simple people and I thrive a lot better in a slower, simpler environment. And so, um, we were in that home actually only six months when I went to my husband again. And I said, I think we need to, I think we need to sell this. <laughs> and two, you know, we were, you know, we were financially pushing the edge and I just had this deep feeling that there was something around the corner in our family and in the world that we were not in the right place to be able to endure that. And so, you know, emotionally, financially, our house was big. I thought, hmm, if something ever happened to Michael, there's no way I could take care of this place, you know? And I thought, you know, it was my husband going into this really big business transition. Um, but oh my gosh, the providence of God. I mean, I used St. Ignatius um, discernment of spirits to discern that whole selling of the house. And thank goodness, because that was a spiritual warfare just in selling a house that I had never endured. And long story short, I mean, we moved, we were settled in our condo five days before his seizure. 
And, you know, he's been on work leave since end of September, and he was a new hire employee. And so he didn't qualify for FMLA or short-term disability. And so, you know, if we had stayed, life would have looked a lot, a lot different, you know. And plus, we just really wanted more of an environment. We wanted to be closer to our uh, church, our kids to have more Catholic friends, to have that be the center of where we lived and what we did kind of like some Benedict option stuff, but yeah, no, you've, you've mentioned before that, that you're a big proponent for the Benedict option. So, and I wasn't sure how, how you were living that. Um, but that's, that's very cool. So kind of springboarding off of that. So in a, in a recent interview, you, you said that, uh, during the time of, uh, you know, your husband's diagnosis and the subsequent surgeries that, um, that, that experience, uh, that the experience leading to the selling of your house really helped you put you in a good place spiritually to weather the storm of Michael's surgeries. What was it specifically that helped you? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I think it was the, the sufferings leading up to that. I mean, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, um, about a year and a half ago and had spent a number of years sick. And every time I thought I was going to get better, there was kind of always something else that came. And so I think just suffering prepares you for more suffering. Um, but then in the discernment and the selling of our house, it was a really big detachment. Because here I was sitting in this really pretty place surrounded by these really pretty things. And we had a very comfortable life. And what was at the heart of that discernment was God saying, you know, like, how detached are you? You know, are you willing to give this up? Maybe not even for something greater, maybe, maybe for something equal or worse. But was I willing to say yes. And I think that if I hadn't, this is me personally, I mean, my husband and I discerned this together. So it wasn't all me. But if I hadn't said yes to selling the house, it would have been very difficult for me to say yes to anything else if God had asked me from that point on. So it's kind of like, okay, well, we sold our house, everything's in storage, you know, and then when my husband got sick, it's like it just a continuation of that saying yes. And I, um, I, like I had mentioned, I was going through a lot of kind of spiritual warfare during that time and a lot of doubt about God as well. And so when that happens, I like to turn to philosophy and just these arguments about the goodness of God, how God can be nothing other than good. And so that really helped me realizing that helped me is helping me during this time, because when I feel anything except that God is good, then I have to remind myself of that, um, in my own mind. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one of the, I would say one of the most beautiful things that I see being played out on your Instagram and in your stories is you are, you're willing to admit what the struggle is you're willing to allow yourself to feel those emotions and and those doubts but i actually had written this down the you generally will pivot 
it's almost like a movement of your will towards that reminder of God is good. And despite what's happening right now, despite uh, what my emotions are doing and whatnot, and, and kind of the chaos that's surrounding my life right now, God is good. And yeah, I just find that that incredibly important. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just love that. Um, you, had, you had said recently, you know, with regards to detachment, that essentially detachment is like the surfboard, you know, that allows you to, to surf the, right. uh, the waves of, of life and, and, and the craziness of life. I really, I love that analogy. I know you're a beach bum. I'm a beach bum too. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got a lake nearby, not an ocean, but yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but still, I, I, I appreciated that analogy. Okay. Yeah. So one thing that, like I said before, with, with your post, there's a lot of transparency. There's a lot of vulner- vulnerability. You know, you openly admit when you're struggling and you, you admitted in that re, uh, that recent interview, uh, with universal sisterhood, um, that because of the breakneck speed that your life has been running at over the past, like six months or so, um, that you haven't had the adequate time to grieve. Um, but now that things are slowing down, the cracks are starting to appear. And I mean, you do share openly about, about those cracks, but like I said, there's always like that pivot toward those timeless truths of God's goodness and his, his goodwill for you and your family. Some might say though, like, just let yourself feel what you're feeling without bringing your faith into it. What would you say to that? I have a very difficult time doing that because one of the books that I relate to most out of anything is abandonment to divine providence. I read that in college and it struck me because God is in the most minute. And so I don't have the ability except to see things through the eyes of faith. Um, I mean, I try, I do, I get angry and I get um, very focused on the here and now and what I've lost and how things could just continue to be crappy and bad. Um, I mean, I do let myself feel the emotion. I mean, if there's a song that comes on and it strikes me and I sit on the kitchen floor and cry my eyes out for three minutes and then pick myself back up. I mean, I think there's a way to be able to see things with the eyes of faith, but not keep your head in the clouds. I mean, I don't, I don't think that I'm just floating around with this idyllic or I, whatever the word is, um, notion that I'm stuffing all my pain and living in La La Land, you know, but, but I think that analogy or what you said about pivoting is, is cool because that really oftentimes is an act of the will. And so even if I don't, even if I'm don't see things with the eyes of faith, um, it's helpful because when, when I get stuck in just the darkness and if I get, just get stuck there, it's really easy to continue spiraling down. So you have to have something to pull yourself out of. If anything, psychologically, even if you just want to take the faith stuff out of it, you have to have some positivity, some humor, or you will just crumble. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so like for you in those times when you feel those, those emotions and, and those, you know, you're dealing with that, that temptation perhaps to, towards like really serious doubt of God's goodness and, and allowing that to, to play havoc with your mind and with your emotions, you, would you say that you just kind of, um, take control of those thoughts and just say, no, enough is enough. And, and, and try to, is it like a, like, do you spend time in prayer and, and that helps or, or, or do you read what, what do you do personally in those times to remind you? Well, let me give you an example. So both probably in November and in January, I had, you know, you, you kind of ebb and flow between consolation and desolation. I had these moments of great desolation. And I let myself go there and it was probably a good week or two of just anger, not wanting to pray doubt. Um, and then ultimately coming out of it. And the hard part about that is when you're in that place of just despair, you can't function, you know, and I need to be able to function for my husband and my family. And so now what I do is when I hit that, I recognize it. I try to nip it in the bud from the beginning, because oftentimes when you go down the road of despair, you're either going to continue. I mean, and I was borderline, like I'm giving all this up. I'm giving God up. This is just crap. I mean, I'm giving up my faith. I'm going to give up my prayer, you know, but then I realized, okay, I'm in this too far. I can't give up now, (laughs) you know? And so, so now I try to nip it in the bud. I do. I, uh, I make sure my prayer life is on point. And if that's not the case, if I've slacked and that's why I'm starting to feel um, things creep up, then I'll make sure that's on point. I try to make sure that my charity towards, you know, my husband and his struggles, because that is really difficult going from the marital role to the caregiving role and just you know, and then also finding things that bring me joy, you know, whether I, you know, the weather's been nice. So making sure I get out for a walk and, you know, just those things that are kind of cliche, but that really do help. So I try to pivot now in the beginning before I let it spiral. And I pray a lot of deliverance prayers because I'm, I'm a big, uh, you know, as I've mentioned, believer in spiritual warfare And those cracks are places for the demonic to enter. And so I have the deliverance prayers for lady book and also uh, have a spiritual director, see a therapist, (laughs) try to cover all my bases. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For the record, for any of our listeners who don't have the deliverance prayers book by by Father Ripperger, like, just get it. Yeah. Get it even on Kindle, like you'll use it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it, and it's super cheap. Um, uh, but yeah. So I was gonna say, you know, I've been reading your stories on Instagram, and like, I see the constant struggles, and like I said, the reorienting or the the pivoting of yourself towards Christ, and it really reminds me of Saint Teresa of Jesus or Saint Teresa of Avila. As she's known widely, um, who said to our Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. And, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, my, my is I would never treat my kids this way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't. I don't my kids this way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you and you and St. Teresa are cut from the same cloth. Um, which leads me to my next question. So I'm calling that first section the surfboard because I think, like you were saying, the talking about the importance of uh of detachment is so necessary when especially in the face of suffering. But maybe we can move to what I what I call the second part, um, which is the anchor. And uh, you talked a while back about the book, A Mother's Rule of Life, um, especially in, in times like we're in right now. Um, so much is up in the air so, for so many people. Why is it important, especially for mothers, but, but really for everyone, to have an established rule of life? Right. Well, this rule of life comes from, you know, monastic orders or priestly religious orders have a rule that their entire world is centered around, that their schedule, their prayer, their mission is centered around kind of this foundation. And having that as a wife, a mother, a husband and father is really important because it reorients what you're doing. I mean, I started this, um, there is a book called The Mother's Rule of Life. And one of my girlfriends and I read it when our babies, our first babies were just real little. And when I got away from that during those chunk of years that we were kind of searching in the wrong areas of life, um, we got off track. And so now that I'm back with my rule and just, it's a litmus test. You know, if your rule is specific and measurable, you know, and... Even something like, hey, my goal is to get my family to heaven or whatever. I mean, it probably should be more specific than that. It's kind of spelled out in the book. But anyway, it really is a litmus test to be able to base decision making and the day to day functions of life against. Yeah. Now, like like I said before we started this podcast, obviously we're we're very trad on this podcast. Um as you're, as you're more of a trad as well, what impact has traditional Catholicism had on your own spirituality um, and family life, and how has it impacted that personal rule of yours? Right. Well, so we, we are very new to traditional Catholicism. We, I attended only my second TLM last summer. And my first time wearing a veil, my first time. Go- and then so then the second time we went, I can't remember if it was, it was probably right before my husband got sick. Anyway, long story short, I think, you know, we, we ended up making the formal switch probably this past December or January. I have two, two of my youngest are in first communion and another son who wants to be an altar boy there. And uh, the community, um, the Catholic community aspect uh, for my children was also very strong. So remind me of the question because I think I got a little off track. How's <laughs> during this time? <laughs> <laughs> what what impact has it has traditional Catholicism had on your own personal spirituality, your family life, and and on that role of life that you've you've made for yourself? Right. Okay. So I guess on my personal life. Um, what traditional Catholicism reminds me is that it's not all about me. It's all about God, the way the liturgy set up the way, I mean, just the physical thing. I mean, 
yeah, it just reminds me that my life isn't about myself and what I'm going to get out of it. It's about God. You know, even just the littlest things of having my missile, you know, we pray out of it. My kids have their own missile, um, which has been awesome. And then in terms of my rule, um, yeah, it just, just, uh, learning more about my faith and and the history of the church. And, um, I think it just kind of helps refine your desires and your goals, which is what helps feed into the rule. And that's what I do every, every quarter I make desires or I have desires and I make goals in each of the five P's that the uh, book talks about prayer person, partner, parent, and provider. And so, yeah, the deeper I go into my faith and into my religion, it definitely helps refine what my desires are and the goals that I want to get there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is there, is there one thing in, or, or maybe a few things that really attracted you to traditional Catholicism in the beginning? Yes. Um, I liken it to the analogy of when I go to the Novus Ordo, it's like you get a piece of chocolate cake, right? It's great. It's, you know, satisfying, you know, it's good. It's cake. But then when you go to the traditional Latin mass, it's like the whole cake. I mean, you can't possibly (laughs) eat it all, but you get a whole cake. And I didn't realize there was more cake. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and, and I think just the richness and the depth and how just you know, you read through the liturgy and you just see these words and prayers that I wasn't exposed to before and how those, those sentences that are in the liturgy and the way it's set up just draws you in so much deeper. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Was the experience the same for Michael? Yeah, no, he's actually, um, in the beginning, he wanted to veer more traditional than I did. We had attended a very, um, uh, it was a Novus Ordo, but we attended a Polish parish for the first number of years of our marriage, which was very small and beautiful and very liturgically well done. And then shifted away from that and then discovered we, I mean, we have a TLM, we have an FSSP, I mean, 10 minutes from our house. So (laughs) Yeah, honestly, my (laughs) intrigue is I had wanted, I thought about veiling for a couple of years. I just, I don't know, I felt very stagnant, like I had hit the peak in my faith in terms of liturgical life. And so I was just craving more. And so I think going to the TLM was kind of my excuse last summer to be like, okay, I want to try a veil. I want to see what that's like, but I don't want to do it. And, you know, we sit up front or we used to sit up front in our old parish and, you know, and so, and the first mass we went to was a low mass and it's the first one that my kids had ever been to. And, you know, it's like quiet half the mass and there's no music or anything. And we leave. And I thought, man, and we're halfway back. The kids are looking at people's backs. And I thought, there's no way they're going to like this. And we get in the car. (laughs) No offense. This is not offense to the Novus Ordo. But my son goes, "Uh, does God like that mask better? (laughs) I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I just felt him there so much more. (laughs) You know, and I'm like, oh, okay. 
And they yeah. were really intrigued. And they, we had gone, we went to the Rorate Mass in Advent. And they were really the ones who said, mom, let's go. Let's make, let's make the switch. And so I think they instigated that transition a lot faster than maybe we would have because we love our community at our old parish. We still, we love the priests. We love, I mean, we have a lot of history there, but for our faith, it was very much the right thing to do. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of parents are potentially afraid that their children will get bored at a TLM. And to hear that story is just, it's awesome. It, it reminds me a bit of um, a story that happened, I think it was last last year. Um, we went to a friend's uh, child's first communion, and it was at a Nova Sordo parish. And we're there, and um, my friends, my other friends, were there with their uh, with their daughter, who's my my goddaughter, and they go to the TLM with us. And uh, we we go in, we sit down, and everybody's quiet, getting ready for mass. And and she looks around, she goes, the the kid, she was about three years old at this point, looks around, goes. Yeah what kind of church is this? <laughs> <laughs> and like, <laughs> and at the end of the mass, they, uh, you know, they, they play the, you know, gather us in, not, no, I can't remember what they played, but it Don't was, make a dip. yes, Come on. actually that's it. That is legit. It. That is My legit. Hilarious. Um, but yeah, they, they played that and at the end, everybody's clapping and my goddaughter goes, no clapping. <laughs> <laughs> the kids know where it's at. They do. They do. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, so, so we've talked about the surfboard. We've talked about the anchor. Coming back to you talking about with regards to the mother's rule of life, you were saying how like there's always that quarterly um, kind of look at your desires and and whatnot. And I want to I want to maybe dig into that because I think I, I had a conversation this week with somebody who who said to me you know, in light of all this crazy pandemic COVID-19 thing, uh, they said to me, you know, my entire year is just gone. It's gone. Everything I had planned gone. And so I said, so what, what are you going to do instead? How are you going to make this moment special, different, you know? And it was met with, I don't know, you know, so in you in your mind, what what is the importance for setting goals and looking to the future, and how is that how has that helped you, especially at at this time, but also in light of of Michael's illness and and such? Right. So, setting goals for the future. Well, here's what I've realized. I mean, life life can change on a dime. I mean. Yeah, you might think that the year is gone, but I look at the beginning of January 2019, there was no thought of selling our house. Birth mother hadn't picked us for, you know, or the expectant mother hadn't picked us for adoption yet. We really hadn't made the final decision of my husband moving his business and then everything that happened in the latter of the year. And so I think understanding that a week from now could look completely different than now really 
I think it's two things. One, I think it it's important that we don't bite off too much time and hold it in our minds because I have learned through this process to bite off two weeks or a month at a time. Because before, you know, you know, when my husband first got sick, there was no way I was thinking six months down the road. I was thinking, okay, these next two weeks, okay, now these next two weeks of treatment and what are, what, what do I need to do not only to survive life, but to ensure that everything gets accomplished. And so chunks of time based on where you're at in life is incredibly important because it makes things so much less overwhelming and more fruitful. Because if you're planning something six months down the road and God hasn't set up the five things ahead that needed to have happened before that thing, you might be missing out on what you actually need to be doing. So, you know, now that it's April and I'm doing my goals for April, May, June, you know, I'm going to just look at this, look at these three months and see what it is that we need to have accomplished by June. What are things I want to have accomplished, you know, in my prayer life, personal life with my husband, with our finances, where we live. And then from there, I do have a weekly checklist where I put, you know, I choose one specific goal from each and write it down just to make sure that I break it down even further. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. I think there's that tendency. I, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram as well, but Liv Harrison, she did a, a recent post where she was talking about how a lot of, a lot of us are, our mindset is, is stuck in February, 2020. And we right. just want to get back to 2020. And the truth is we're not in February, 2020. We're in April, 2020. We right. have to ask that question. What does God want for me right now at this present right. moment? Um, and well, and not to look back because when things of an apocalyptic nature, right? Whether the world is changing or whether you have uh, someone in your family that's ill or you've had this big upset, oftentimes, most of the time, all of the time, the answer is not to look back and say, we have to get back to what it was. Um, when my husband first got sick, I didn't want things to go back to the way that they were. You know, I wanted them to be, I wanted our lives to move forward and, and be better and be redeemed somehow, you know? And so even just in this whole world crisis, we need to be looking forward to not necessarily life as it was, but life better than it was. Yeah. In terms of your family, how, how has this current crisis impacted it and and how have you allowed yourself to thrive at this point sure honestly life's not all that much different because we homeschool already and my husband was home already um things and i'm you know because he is immunocompromised we're always pretty careful with that anyway so honestly life right now doesn't look too much different other than just continuing to remain detached because we have no idea what's going to happen with the economy, with the housing market. It just, again, reminds, it's a reminder to myself 
things change in an instant and we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared, you know, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially for things to fall apart. And if we're not, we're going to get caught off guard. Yeah. So now I do want to, I do want to say there is one dream that you have and that I know that, uh, that is, is not in the three month realm. Tell me about Hawaii. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Shaka, I'm throwing you a Shaka. Um, yeah, you know, Hawaii is one of those things that whenever you say, hey, I want to move to Hawaii, people are going to look at you like, what? You're weird. That's impractical and impossible. <laughs> but I believe that God puts things on certain people's hearts for certain things for a reason. Hawaii for me has always been the pearl of great price. It's kind of, it's been that place because Hawaii symbolizes, and when I'm there, I mean, it is so slow and simple. I mean, you talk about Ohana, like you're in the grocery store line and chit-chatting for 15 minutes with the checkout lady. And it's uh, just the values of family and um, and slowness and uh, materialism isn't an issue and again, the pace of life. And I mean, I could go on and on, but what Hawaii was for me during those chunk of years where we were living very opposite of Hawaii, you know, big house, individualistic, materialistic, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. And so when I go to Hawaii and come back, I was right. This is not, this is not the life, the life that I'm living is not the life that I want to be living. And so Hawaii again was a great checkpoint reminder of that. But um, no, I mean, it's been on my heart for a number of years to do something there, to have some sort of life there. And that was also part of our move to see, you know, if we could fit that in part time somehow with our family and, and how that's going to look moving forward. I don't know that that's something that has been really hard to detach from that wow if that never happens you know that would be difficult but I have dreams you know my kid the kids and I you know we always talk about our farm on Maui and all of our (laughs) our cows names and my I'm gonna have a miniature horse named Kevin Bacon and you know we dream and dreams dreams are great and I really do pray that in some capacity, that's, that's a reality. I mean, my dream ultimately, it'd be so awesome to have a retreat center, whether it be a theology, the body retreat center, a place for families to come to do part vacation, part retreat. So we're dreaming. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. You had mentioned, uh, that you'd love to establish a, tra- or help to establish a traditional parish. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like, not there. I know that there's one on Oahu. There's not one on Maui. Um, they do the Nova Sordo in Latin, but obviously that's not the same. So, yeah. 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 No, I mean, that would be, that'd be so sick. <laughs> oh my God. Sign I, uh, me up. <laughs> I was talking to, uh, to Mike and Brooke, my other co-hosts, and I was saying how that was, uh, a, a dream of yours. And they're just like, sign me up, sign me up. Heck yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Shut <laughs> up, Mark. Yeah commune on the hills of Haleakala. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, so you you had mentioned theology of the body, and I know that 
some some listeners might be intrigued to discuss for us to discuss this. Um, I know that for for Brooke in particular, the theology of the body was had an incredible impact on her when she was in her college years um, to help her to rediscover the faith in a big way. And, and, and you had mentioned that that kind of had an impact on you as well when you were in college um, on that, on that other podcast um, with Jessica, obviously um, there's, there's a lot of speculations that, that traditional Catholics hold against John Paul II and the work of the theology of the body. Um, but personally, do you think traditional Catholics need to be concerned with, with that? Well, here's, yeah, here's the thing. So that, that was actually very new to me because I am very new to the traditional movement. Um, and so hearing that, I was like, huh, interesting. I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, and so whatever the underpinnings of that are, I don't know. What I do know is that my experience with theology of the body, it was the thing that ensured that I am still Catholic to this day. I mean, I, when I was in high school and struggling with what it means to be a woman, I had a severe eating disorder and many other issues and went to college and discovered theology of the body. And the first night I went to was a night on what it means to be a woman. And I was enraptured. I mean, I was sold. Everything about the world made sense through theology of the body. The analogy of this marital analogy present in the church and in the world and how God's ultimate plan is to marry us and why the body and sexuality are so under attack because it is the thing that most reveals who God is. It just made life make sense to me and it made me fall in love deeper with my faith. You know, it made me understand truths like contraception. I mean, I was probably a very naive Catholic. I didn't know a lot of the teachings of my faith. I knew that being Catholic was important to me, but it was because of the theology of the body that I dove into topics like homosexuality, pornography, contraception, and that I fell in love with my faith. So for my experience, I really do credit it very much with deepening my Catholicism. And I think through that, I mean, whatever is or isn't messed up with it. I mean, God uses everything. I mean, God takes everything and can use it for good, even the greatest of evils. And so I think we do. You know, I, I think that seeking truth and seeking the highest truth is incredibly important, but we also have to do it with a great spirit of charity because we end up pushing more people away than by just making, you know, I don't know. I'm a big truth lover and truth believer, and I throw truth bombs and I think it's <laughs> incredibly important, but, but yeah, charity is also a big one. So yeah, yeah. I ended up starting a ministry, Theology of the Body Northwest. I was um, reluctantly running my high school youth group at, at church. I was like, I'll never be a high school youth group minister. And here <laughs> I was. So anyway, I ended up teaching Theology of the Body. I did 12-week courses. I had like two couples meet in high school, end up like getting married, super traditional Catholic. I mean, it's just the fruits and the vocations that came from it. I mean, I had 
a handful of friends from college who ended up becoming priests because of theology of the body. So anyway, I ramble, but um, yeah, I ended up, I've, I've seen a lot of good fruits from it because our world is so sexualized and the struggles that we deal with center around the body, marriage, sexuality, love, relationship, vocation, and some of the ways that theology of the body can provide analogies and answers really helps with those. So, For sure. For sure. I, you know, when I was much younger and, and theology of the body was, was just kind of becoming the thing. Um, right. I know that when I was studying it and, and just really digging in that I, at that time, you know, I was beginning in my own personal, um, vocation as a secular discalced Carmelite. And so there was that, that mystical theology, that spiritual theology of the church and, you could put them up beside one another and see the similarities, right? Like you were saying that marital analogy between, you know, Christ and the church um, and seeing that mirrored in the spiritual theology of the church, how, you know, that, that mystical marriage that God desires is possible. Even now you right. can look at people like St. Teresa of Jesus, St. Catherine of right. these people. Right. So, I mean, yeah, just that, that, that beauty that was that I saw in that mystical tradition was there also in the theology of the body. Um, so I don't know, like I, I've always kind of, I don't know when, when people have kind of balked about it and whatnot, I'm like, what is it specifically that you have an issue with? And, and they'll be like, well, you know, John Paul II did this thing or did that thing. I'm like, no, but, like what is the issue? And they'll be like, well, Christopher West said this thing. I'm like, no, but what did John Paul II say? <laughs> you know? Right. So um yeah, I think it's I think it's worth reading. Um, but again, like it's not I mean, they kind of tout it as it being a new thing, but it's really not. I mean, it's always been there nascent right. in the church, right? Oh, for sure. And that's something that is very important to point out is this is not new theology. It's not new teaching. It's taking what the church has taught since the beginning and putting it in verbiage that is easier for us to understand. Putting it in analogies that aren't necess- that aren't theologically wrong, but that just make sense. So that's how I definitely never viewed it as something new. If it was something new, there's no way that I would have bought in because I'm always skeptical of all these new things. <laughs> yeah. Especially now that you're a trad. You <laughs> oh yeah. Open that arms. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I listen to too many podcasts now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too funny. Okay. So that that basically brings brings us to the end. So um can you maybe tell our friends where they can find you online? Yes. Yep. I am under the future is family. So just all one, the future is family on Instagram, kind of in the works of getting a website rolling because, you know, Instagram only lets you write a certain number of characters and my mind goes longer than that. But <laughs> yeah. Hop on over, say hi. 
Awesome. Awesome. Love to have you on my little corner of the Instaland world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, my wife, my wife sends a question. Why the future is family? Great point. Um, I had an old account just under my name, Christine Nicole, and I felt like it needed to be revitalized. And I was praying about it. It was kind of the whole um, women's movement, the women's march with the phrase, the future is female. And it struck me like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, the future is family. If we can focus on building solid, amazing, beautiful families, the future will be good. Awesome. Awesome. And are you still doing stuff with Theology of the Buddy Body? Not Buddy. <laughs> theology <laughs> of the Body Northwest. Are you still involved with that? Um, not the past few months, but I do have a website. I haven't updated in a while. It's called uh, tobnw.org, Theology of the Body Northwest. Yeah, I do a lot of uh, marriage prep confirmation, retreats, workshops, that cool. sort of thing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, Christine, mahalo for joining us. <laughs> thank you. This is cool. <laughs> this is great. Um, so, to everybody, thank you uh, for listening to today's podcast. We're really glad that you joined us. If you've not yet, we would love for you to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. If you are a fan of social media, you can find us at Theology of the Buddy. Or if you want to email us, just send us an email at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Um, all of our show notes and past episodes can be found at theologyofthebuddy.com. Next week, we've got another surprise guest. So be sure you're subscribed so you'll know when it comes out, when our episodes are released every Wednesday. So until then, stay tratty. <laughs>